0: Thank you, praise team, for leading us in worship this morning. Appreciate your ministry to us. Again, I want to thank those upward parents that are here with us today. We appreciate you taking time uh, to spend with us this morning. And uh, we know some of you go to other churches, so thank you for uh, being with us here today. We really appreciate it. Uh, We want you to know here at Mount Calvary Church... uh, We are excited about the Upward Ministry, and we count it a privilege on a weekly basis uh, to be able to work with your boys and your girls, and uh, we don't take that lightly. We really don't. Um, Again, I want to thank Melissa and uh, Jason, who would do a phenomenal job. Uh, This is really their first year of running the whole program, and they have done excellent, and we really uh, appreciate them. And uh, this is our sixth year for running Upward. We started quite a few years ago, over six years ago, with the football and uh, cheerleading. And then we moved into basketball. And last year, our basketball season was the biggest ever. We had 260 kids playing basketball. And I think we'll be there again this year. So again, we need help. But uh, I just, again, want to thank the parents for being here today and supporting our Upward program. Well, I'm going to invite you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Daniel. We're just in the second week of really four weeks of talking about surviving and thriving in today's culture. And uh, I am going to give sort of a quick review of last week's message, since I know we have a lot of visitors today, to sort of bring you up to where we are. I wish I could tell you right from the start that this is going to be a really uplifting, positive message today. And you're going to walk away saying, wow, I am so encouraged. I am really glad I went to church today. That's the kind of messages I like to preach. But this message is not going to be like that today. And uh, we're going to be talking a lot about persecution and how we got to where we are. And if we continue to go this direction, why I believe the church is going to go through persecution here in America. But I still believe that we can thrive in the midst of that. And we'll talk about that this morning in just a moment. But last week we talked about... How our culture is declining, and how that is accelerating, and how change has happened so quickly. And uh, I compared it to you know walking. When you walk, you might walk five miles an hour, and if you want to go a little faster, you might ride a horse ten miles an hour. But if you want to go really quick, what do you do? You get an airplane, and you you go five hundred miles an hour. And that is how our culture is changing today. That five hundred miles an hour is how quick. I talked last week about connection. I talked about mobile phones. I talked about Facebook. I talked about, I didn't talk about tweets last week. And uh, every second, there are 6,000 tweets. Um, There were about every second, about 6,000 tweets. There were 5,000 tweets per day. Listen to this, 5,000 tweets per day in 2007 there are 500 million tweets every day it's a lot of tweets isn't it you know i if you're on how many of you are on facebook raise your hand look around that's pretty much you know 90 percent facebook is not where it's at anymore it is what it's twitter it's tweeting so I knew, I need to catch up to the Times. I, have a, I remember walking into the office one day and I had opened up a Twitter account, and Pastor, Pastor Jonathan was really impressed, because he's our tech guy. And he said, "I saw you're a tweeter now. I think I've only ever tweeted one since, but you know, I'm going to catch up. You know, we, we talked about those things. We talked last week about um, the, the selfie shots. Uh, we talked about pornography, four million websites. But you know, when we talk about pornography, we also have to talk about uh, Snapchat today Um, because that's really where it's at. Because what you can do on Snapchat is it's a picture video and you can take it and it's on for 1 to 10 seconds and then what? It's gone. It disappears. And so it's a way for people to put pornography out there. People can see it, and then it's gone. We talked about entertainment last year. Americans spent $900 million. The culture is changing rapidly. And so we went then to the book of Daniel. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn there to the book of Daniel. And just want to remind you a little few things that we talked about. I want to read to you the first verse. Several things, again, we pointed out last week to bring you up to date where we are. We talked about a nation that's gone rogue. A nation gone rogue, and that was the nation of Israel. See, this nation of Israel, God's chosen people, had decided that they were no longer going to serve God, Yahweh, that they wanted other gods. They were going to get into idolatry and adultery, and they began to serve other gods. They had gone rogue. And so because of that, God wanted to get their attention. God said, listen, hey, you're going the wrong direction, Israel. I need to get your attention. So God sent the Babylonians, Nebuchadnezzar, down into Israel, and they took over the land and brought back the best of the young men and young women, brought them back to their land, and decided they wanted to retrain them. That's where we meet Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, these four Hebrew young men who were men of wisdom and men of leadership. And so God brought this godless king Nebuchadnezzar this godless nation and we talked to you last week and told you about Babylon it was one of the most ungodly nations upon the face of the earth. We think today of Isis, let me tell you, Babylon was much worse than Isis. And so that's the people, that's the nation that God brought upon his people to bring them back to a relationship with him. Now, it's going to take some time for that to happen, but that's the whole reason. I want you to look at these words in verse 2. We pointed this out last week. And the Lord delivered. God caused this. God caused this ungodly nation, this ungodly king, to to come down and bring them back captive. And then, when they brought these Hebrew boys back, what happened? They taught them a godless education system. We learned that the Babylonian edu- education system was evil, and they, they taught evil things, astrology, and things like that. And then, it was a spiritual, hostile, hostile environment. Babylon wasn't friendly. In fact, what did they do? They renamed these Hebrew boys. They renamed them. They gave them names of the Babylonian gods. Tried to reeducate them. Tried to take away their god totally. Gave them brand new names. And then there was the physical humiliation that we talked about last week. That they, we believe that they castrated these young men. They castrated them. So this is the picture of Daniel chapter 1 where God sends an ungodly nation down upon Israel. Now, as we go through this, we want to share with you Israel got to that point because of their idolatry, because of their adultery. And I believe that America is heading the same way, if we're not already there. And I'm not a doomsday prophet. Uh, I think there's I'm I'm glad that I live in America. I think it's it's a privilege uh, I still wave the American flag out in front of my house, and you know, on July 4th, I'm glad I'm a citizen of heaven before I'm a citizen of America, though. And so, let me just give you today: How did we get here? How did we get here? And so I'm going to give you the downward influence of a movement. And I'm talking about Christianity. I'm talking about the movement of Christianity. How did we get to here where we are today or where I believe that we're going to be? First of all, you'll know it starts out as dominant. We go back to 1776 when America was founded. It was founded on Judea Christian principles, wasn't it? Go back and read and study those men and and learn and and look how every day when the legislation opened, it was open with prayer. And sometimes, even after the prayer, those pastors would preach. They would stand up and they would preach messages to those who were there. And so our nation was founded on Christianity. It was dominant and then it, it stayed prominent. It was influential. I think back to back in the 1970s when Dr. Jerry Falwell led the moral majority, and uh, what an impact that, that movement had on our nation at that time, and uh, it was in, influential. It, Christianity down through the years has been respected. It's been respected, and uh, but now I think that we've moved past that. I really believe in the last five to ten years, Christianity is simply tolerated. We know what's happening. They're taking the Ten Commandments off the walls of our courts. They're taking, uh, they're, they're taking Christmas and saying that our kids cannot celebrate Christmas any longer in the public school system. It's simply tolerated now. It's just one of many other religions where the reality is America was founded on Christian principles. And today, those same Christian principles are simply tolerated. And the last one is persecuted. Persecuted. And the reality is that's where we're moving. That's the direction that we're moving. And I'll show you that in just a moment. How how does this change? How does society change so quickly? How does it happen? Let me, let me show you in this next one. Let me show you and give you these. First of all, we're going to take this thing of gay and lesbian marriage. First of all, let's go back and let's think about this. First of all, years ago, it was unthinkable, wasn't it? It was unthinkable. It was unthinkable. You wouldn't even have thought of that. It it wasn't even something that was talked about anywhere. Now, I realize that there were people who had those leanings, but it wasn't talked about, was it? It wasn't talked about at all. It was basically unthinkable. In fact, it was thought of as radical. It was radical. But then somewhere back in the 60s, it began to become acceptable, It would to be acceptable. It came out of the closet, and we had entertainers, and we had other people standing up and beginning to say, you know what, I'm gay, I'm a lesbian. It's fine. You know, accept it, accept it. It's the sensible thing. It's the sensible thing. In fact, if you go out and you talk to people on the street, they'll say, yeah, it's sensible, I can see, and now we've moved to the next one where it's popular. In fact, it's so popular, just think of how many television programs today promote gay and lesbian relationships. I am a channel flipper. I don't watch television unless I'm flipping, okay? And that's the way I stay away from most of the junk. But uh, last Sunday, I was flipping, and all of a sudden, on this program, and I'm trying to think of what program it was, can't even think of what it was, but there were two men kissing. Two men kissing. That's a normal thing today, isn't it? It's a normal thing. That's what our society is trying to tell us. And so it's telling us, listen, it's popular. Everybody does it. And what happened this summer? Now it is what? It is policy. Our Supreme Court said that this is okay. We will accept this. You can accept it. And you see, and many of you sit here today, many of you who are sitting here today, you lived in a time earlier when it was even unthinkable, wasn't it? You wouldn't even talk about it. But look how quick we've gone from unthinkable to it being policy. Two important definitions that we need to realize today. The first is tolerance. Here's what true tolerance is. A recognition, a recognition and respect for others' viewpoints with which you disagree. That's really what tolerance is. It is a recognition and respect for others' viewpoints with which you disagree. This is modern tolerance today an accepting accepting a position to be true or at least as true as your own position. Here at Mount Calvary Church, we believe that those who practice homosexuality, lesbianism, we believe that is a sin. We believe that transgender is a sin. That doesn't mean that we can't love those people. That doesn't mean, but it has to mean that we don't respect their position because what? It is an unbiblical position. We can love them, and we'll talk about that a little bit this morning and again next week, but we're not going to accept that. But what they want us to do is they want us to accept it as being right. It is against the Word of God. See, that's what modern tolerance is. And that's what moves us into this next thing called hate speech. Any speech, gesture or conduct, writing or display which is forbidden because it may incite violence or prejudicial action against or be protected individually or a group or because it disparages or intimidates a protected individual, a group. Hate speech. Do you realize what I just did in the pulpit of Mount Calvary Church out in our society is considered what? Hate speech. Hate speech. And I believe there will be a day and it's coming that pastors could be arrested and put in prison because of saying things like I just said from this pulpit today. Because what? Because of what tolerance is today and what our government says is hate speech. Listen, we need to stand firm on the word of God. If God calls it sin, then we need to call it sin. And so we have to stand firm. But that's sadly, in a lot of places, not what's happening today. So when, when we think about this, when we think about this, How did we get here? And we see how easy it was for us to get to where we are today. But you'll notice in the book of Daniel that God used an unheathen nation to try to get the attention of his people. And I believe that's what God might be doing today, even here in America. Tough love starts at home. Tough love starts at home. My family and I, some years ago, went to a restaurant to enjoy a meal together. We went in, we sat down with the three kids, and we ordered, and just our food just got there, and all of a sudden, a hot dog flew across the table. Then the other kid slapped the other kid for throwing the hot dog, and then it just began screaming broke out. And as a good dad, a dad who knew what I should do, I got up, I grabbed those three kids, I took them outside of the restaurant, and I whipped them, I gave them a speech, I told them, listen, we're going to go back in there, we're going to pay the bill, you're not going to eat, in fact, you're probably not going to get anything to eat until tomorrow morning. I will not accept this kind of behavior in public. Went back into the restaurant, I sat down, everything seemed to be okay for about five minutes, and then the police showed up. They took me to the side. They talked to me. They took me out of the restaurant handcuffed, and I spent the night in prison. Why? Because, see, it wasn't my kids. It was the kids' two booths over. Now, do you believe that? No, but it's a great story, isn't it? No, I didn't do that. If I would have done that, my wife would have slapped me upside the head. So, but What? They weren't my responsibility. That wasn't my kids. I was responsible for my three kids, not the kids two booths down, though sometimes when you're in public, you want to do that, don't you? Come on, admit it. But the reality of it is I'm responsible. And see, God is responsible for us. God is responsible for us. And what what happens is we worry about everybody outside the church, and God is more concerned about those in the church. Now listen to me. Listen to me this morning. God is concerned about His children. And the world says that everybody who's born into this world is part of the children of God. That's not true. That's a world view. That when I'm born, you know, all of us are part of the children of God. That's not true. When we're born into this world, we are born sinners who are separated from God. And that sin separates us from God. And if we continue to live in that condition, we will die and spend eternity in hell. But the good news is this, is that God loved us so much that he sent his only son, Jesus, into this world for 33 years. At the end of those 33 years, Jesus was taken and nailed to a cross. And every sin that you've committed, every sin that I committed was placed upon his son. He died in our place He was buried. He rose again the third day victorious over sin and death. He did that for you. He did that for me. So that all I had to do to go to heaven was come to that point and believe that I'm a sinner. And say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for me. I believe that you were buried for me and you rose again for me. And I put my faith and my trust in you to take me to heaven. Your works. You could be the best person in the world. World and you'd still die and go to heaven. It's not our good works. It's our personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you're here this morning, maybe you don't have that relationship. Maybe today you could speak to me or to, to one of the guys that was up front or somebody at the door. If you want to have a personal relationship, if you truly want to be a child of God, when we're born into this world, We're not children of God. When we come to know Jesus as our Savior, we become children of God. And so this morning when I'm talking about children of God, I'm talking about those people who have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, who've been, as the Bible says, been born again. That's what I'm talking about. That's who God wants to deal with. That's who God wants is going to deal with. A father disciplines his own kids, not someone else's. And so in the book of Daniel, God is trying to get his children's attention. He's trying to get their attention. And I believe today that sometimes God is trying to get our attention. God disciplines always begins with those he calls his own, with those he calls his own. God loves us too much to let us stray too long. He loves us. He's a loving Father. He'll do whatever it takes to ensure that we bear fruit of righteousness. Let me show you this morning why Christians have such a hard time in our culture. Let me show you. See... The, horror, the culture is horrible. We know that. We've established that last week, and it is moving quickly in a wrong direction. But I believe that the problem isn't so much out there as it is in the church and with God's own people. We should not stand out for what we're against. We should stand out because our life, our life is an example of what we say we're for. Let me say that again. Listen to this statement. We should not stand out for what we're against. We should stand out because our life is an example of what we say we are for. You know, we, we want to go out and we want to protest and we want to say, you know, man, those gay and lesbians, they all burn in hell, and we ought to say all those things. And yet, in the church itself, the Christian lives, we are hypocrites. I'll give you some examples this morning. Some examples that you're well aware of. Let me, let me put a few pictures up. Now listen, I, I'm not here to pick on her today. I, I don't know. I, I only read. But look at this. Look at this. Here's a staunch defender of biblical traditional marriage. I believe her Bible frowns on adultery and divorce, right? But listen, she married husband number one. She fathered twins with husband number three who she wasn't married to, she divorced a husband number one, married husband number two, husband number two adopted her kids, divorced husband number two, married husband three, divorced husband three, and remarried a husband. Now, I appreciate her stand. I really do. I do appreciate what she's done. I'm not sure. I believe that she's a Christian. She came to Christ. Some people say it was after this. Some people say it was in the middle of this. I don't know. I've never heard a personal testimony. But I can tell you this much. The world points at her, don't they, and say, hey, listen, is, th- is this what you're really talking about? Is this your example? Here's another one. You know who this is? Westboro Baptist Church. Fags, doomed nations, plane crash, God's laugh, God laughs. I don't think my God laughs at any calamity. I think my God's heart is broken, because when that plane crashed and people died, some of those people went to hell for eternity, and God loved us so much that he gave his son to die so people wouldn't have to go there. My God doesn't laugh when people die, it's serious. And yet they put this stuff out. And what does Scripture say? What does the Bible say about us? You will know them by their protests. Is that what it says? No, it says you will know them by their what? By their love. You will know them by their love. How about this one? These are all present day. Recognize recognize these people. Okay? Okay. Legislators from Michigan both claimed to be Christians and uh, they took some pretty strong stands for family values. They voted for family values. And what happened? What ended up happening? They had an affair and because of that, he resigned and they finally had to vote her out. Christians. See, we're all worried about what's going on outside the church. Listen. God is more worried about what's going on in the church. Isn't it interesting, again, back to the book of Daniel, that we have an ungodly people. Even in the book of Habakkuk, Habakkuk came to God and says, God, why are you doing this? Why are you allowing the Babylonians to come down and to bring this upon us? Why are you doing this, God? Because what? Listen, God is concerned about how his children live. He's concerned about how we live. Our own hypocrisy. Listen, I'm a hypocrite. I'll stand before you and tell you that. When I lived in Magnolia, New Jersey, Joe was my next-door neighbor. Joe and I had a pretty good relationship. I used to go over and throw horseshoes with Joe all the time. And uh, Joe would always... And it's funny how I ended up with a guy now where I am who always invites me to come and uh, throw horseshoes and have beer. I don't drink beer, but they always invite me. So I, I used to go and sh- throw horseshoes with Joe all the time. we would have a great time. And, uh, and so I built a relationship, and I got Joe to come to our friend Sunday, and he was a staunch Catholic, and he came, and, and I remember when his wife passed away, I went and, and ministered to them, and I went to her funeral, and, and we had a really great relationship, and he knew he knew all about me. He knew who I was. And so this one day, this one, I spent about three weeks building a fort for my kids and uh it was great and and joe would sit over there and, and talk to me while i was building the fort and he'd watch me and i'm not a carpenter at all jesus was a carpenter i'm not okay so i built this fort and i followed the directions but just as i started my son said this to me and he was about 10 years old he said dad you know when you build that fort he said you know what it's good. I'm going to outgrow it pretty quick. Why don't you make it higher? I could do that. So I did some figuring. and I wrote some figures down on the on the fort and I built the whole fort. It was great, man. It was great. The last thing I had to build was the ladder. And the one thing I didn't do was I didn't increase the height of the ladder. So I, I was all excited. The fort was all done, and I spent about two hours building the ladder. And I carried the ladder over the fort and went to put it in to nail it to the fort, and it went right under. It was about a foot short. Man, was I mad! I took that ladder and I flung it across the yard, and I said my Christian cr- cuss word, crud. My kids always knew when I said crud, they were in trouble. I did. I went and picked the ladder up. I threw it across the yard the other way and screamed something else. I was so mad. And then I turned around and looked, and guess who was sitting there watching me? Joe. I had put on a little tantrum like a two-year-old. I mean, he came and listened to me speak. I had shared the gospel with him. See, the, the problem wasn't the sinners around joe the problem was me who claimed to be a christian who claimed to be a pastor you know we're supposed to have it all together but listen to me see the problem is us the problem was even as evil as it was it wasn't babylon as much as god using babylon to bring that upon them the church is full of hypocrites we are we're full of hypocrites is there a, a one more picture? I like this. I saw this. Uh, is going, not, excuse me, not going to church because it's, it's like not going to the gym because of the out-of-shape people. Well, I'm not going to that gym because there's all kinds of out-of-shape people there. So I'm not going there. Sort of what, what it's like, isn't it? But the reality is it's true, is, is we are. You know, the church... It's full of affairs, drunkenness, divorce, bitterness, hatred, gluttony, and you name it. Idolatry. What we put before God is our God. Entertainment, jobs, children's sports, pride, ego, materialism, stuff. I had the privilege to spend two weeks with a pastor from India. I got to go and be in India, and then he came here and spent two weeks with me here. And in those two weeks... He shared some things with me that were eye-opening. This is what he told me. We were talking about India, and I had been there and had preached, and a lot of people had come forward. And, you know, you would think, you know, wow, that's really great. A lot of people came forward. But he said, listen, when you give an invitation to India, God, Jesus is like any one of their gods. They don't want to reject Jesus because they have so many gods. He's just another God. So you can get all kinds of people to come forward in India to accept your God, but they won't give up their God. The big thing about India is you have to get them to give up their God and see that Jesus is the only one true God. Because India is full of idolatry and adultery. And there's many gods. And so we were talking about America. And he said, America is no different than India. You have just as many gods as we have. And I said, well, pastor, what do you mean? He said, first of all, he said, your God is your stomach. Look at how many restaurants you have. I never thought about that. He said, your God is your sports teams. People will miss worship for it. They build multi-million dollar stadiums. He said, I find Americans know more about their fantasy teams than they know about God. They'll spend more time in a week on their fantasy team than they will on their relationship with God. And then he said to me, and this was convicting, he said, so I know, he said this, he said, I know you're an Eagles fan. He said, do you spend as much time in, in, the, God, in the word of God as it takes for you to watch an Eagles game? That's what, that's what he said to me. He said, your God is your television. He said, you have these huge screens, and then how, what do you do? You line up your room all around it. He said, isn't that like worshiping? I took him, we were going to a church up near Hamburg. You know, if you go to Hamburg, Pennsylvania, where do you have to stop? Where? Cabela's. So I wanted him to see Cabela's. You know, it's a neat thing. And, he, and we walked out of Cabela's and he says this to me. He says, wow, you guys have even made a God out of fishing and hunting. <laughs> then I wish I never took him to Cabela's. He said, that's bigger than any church that I have seen in India. We sacrifice our time, our talent, our money, even our kids for these gods. See, we're all worried about outside the church. God is worried about in the church. He said, see, people in India will walk two or three hours to get to church. He said, they'll sit in services for two or three hours. He said, sometimes they'll listen to three or four messages. And he said, the people in America, if you go over 40 minutes, you're long-winded and they're leaving. He said, people in India will give till it hurts. They'll go without food. See, I think sometimes... We've lost the culture, not because of what's going on outside the church, but what's going on inside the church. Just like God did in the time of Daniel, God's going to bring hardship to Christians in America. To thin the herd, separate the genuine from the counterfeit. To expose our hidden spiritual weaknesses. And to wake up our dormant strength. I've been thinking about this and it's been, a, it's, it's been convicting to me, church. It really has been convicting to me. Sometimes I think we, we could do what we do on a weekly basis. And we wouldn't even know the power of God's gone. I think we could do what we do on a weekly basis and not even recognize that the power of God wasn't here. And I'll be the first one to say, because there's times that this preacher stands and preaches in my own humanity, in my own flesh. I don't know about you, but I want to see the power of God. I want to see God move in such a way But the only way that's going to happen is when we see not the outside, not the culture for what it is, but we see ourselves for what we are. I believe persecution is coming. I believe that God, like he used the Babylonians, and we're going to get into this story more next week, and we're going to look at it in depth. And we're going to look at three principles over the next three weeks or next two weeks, three principles to help us live in this culture. But I believe that persecution is coming and we need to be ready for it let me give you some things. Persecution is coming. A, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ, Jesus will bring persecution. 2 Timothy 3.12 talks about everyone who wants to live godly life in Christ, Jesus will allow them to go through persecution. In fact, persecution draws us closer to Christ. It helps us to see him. And so, If we want to be godly, if we want to live godly in Christ Jesus, we're going to go through some difficult times. The second thing is because the world hated me, what does John 15, 18, and 19 say? What does it say? What? They will hate you. If we're going to take strong stands on the Word of God, we're not going to be liked in this society, especially when we think about where we are when now these things that we preach against are public policy. The world hates us. That's where we are on that chart. It's policy now. And so when we stand up and we say, Thus saith the Word of God, they hate us for it. They hate us. Persecution is good for us, though, it develops endurance in James chapter 1. James says, listen, that when we go through temptation, when we go through trials and tribulation, let it be with joy. Be Why? Because it makes us mature in Christ. It makes us mature in Christ. So when we think about it, yes, we, I think it's going to help us to go through these things. And you know what, Americans, here's the thing, American, and John Piper said this, and I love this quote, American followers don't suffer well. American followers, he said, don't suffer well. He said, our tolerance for suffering tends to be limited to inconvenience. had problems with the battery on my car this week. Twice. For some reason, I haven't been able to find out why. I drove all the way from here to E-Town. I stopped in Darren Camp's parking lot to go in. When I came out, it wouldn't start. Now, I was there. I was there on God's business. I was buying stuff for our staff lunch that day. And so my car wouldn't start. And so I had to suffer. Because my car wouldn't start. Had a flat tire, you have a flat tire in 283. That's what. Man, that's suffering, isn't it? Wow. Isn't, isn't it funny what we think of suffering as in America? But it's true, we don't, we don't understand suffering at all. Persecution comes even to those who are doing what is right. Remember the story of Achan? God came and said, listen, as you go up to Ai, as you go up to Ai, Israelites, I want you to go in, I want you to take that little city, and or, or, excuse me, when you go into Jericho, I want you to go in and take that big city, and I don't want you to take anything. I want you to leave everything there. And, and what did Achan do? He took something, he brought it back, he buried it in his tent, Think that's the end of the story? No, it's not, because now God tells the Israelites, I want you to go up to this small city. You've already taken Jericho, the huge city. I want you to go up to this small city, Ai. The name Ai means city of ruin. It's just a heap. It's a dump. You'll be able to take the city without any problem. So the Israelites go up, and what happens? They are sent running. People lost their lives. Why? Because one man stole from did what God told him not to hit it in his tent and the whole army suffered and listen sometimes we suffer sometimes persecution comes even when we're doing what is right what is our response what is our response to be to persecution first of all no retaliation First Peter 2.23, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he trusted himself to him. So what was it? He, what? When they re- gave insults to Jesus, he didn't retaliate. Listen, people are going to call you all kinds of things when you stand in your office, when you stand at your job, when you take a stand for what's right. People are going to call you things. You should expect it. Jesus went through that. And then what does the Bible say? We're to love and to pray for them. We're to love and to pray. Matthew 5, says, love your enemies and what? Pray for them. Pray for them. It's opposite than the world. And David in Psalms 109, 5 says, thus they have rewarded my evil for good and hatred for love. See, for the Christian, it's just the different. For the Christian, it's just we should reward our enemies with good. We should reward them with good. And and their evil with love, their hatred with love. That's what we're to do. And listen, just because you disagree with somebody's stance doesn't mean that you can't show them love. We don't have to stand and protest. We need to show them love. And so my question to us as Christians, once we leave this room and we go out into the world and we're in a world that doesn't see things anymore like we do, the greatest impact that we can have is we can love those people. We don't have to tolerate the sin, but we do have to love the sinner. We have to show them that we care for them. And sometimes that's the thing that will bring somebody to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That love. Love. And then the next thing is don't expect righteousness from unrighteous people. People who don't know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, they're doing what comes natural. Listen, when we get out in the world, we can expect righteousness from unrighteous people. But when we come into the church, we should expect what? Righteousness from righteous people. That's where the problem is. Too often the church gets all upset about what people are doing outside the church, which is pretty normal for them because they're sinners. And what do sinners do? They sin. And then D, respond to persecution by affirming our commitment to the Lord's work in the world. God is working. In Daniel chapter 1, verse 2, it says, The Lord is. Delivered. The Lord delivered Jehoiakim. The Lord delivered Israel into Babylon's hands. I love the story that I read not too long ago of a 19 year old Christian girl in China. She was arrested for her faith, she was arrested for taking a stand for Christ and put into an ungodly prison where she would lay on a concrete floor and sleep in her own excrement, her own feces. She would sleep in the floor where that was. And she prayed every night, God, you've put me here, and God, what do you want to teach me? And then she said, I prayed, God, I want to share the gospel, but there's nobody to share the gospel with. And she got an idea. She believes that God gave her an idea. And she called for the guard. And she said, sir, she said, if you would allow me, I would like to clean the floors of every one of the cells here. Would you allow me to do that? Would you allow me to do that? And at first he said, no. No. But a week later, he came back and he said, you know what? What what you told me a week ago, I'm willing to let you do that. And so she would move from cell to cell to cell, cleaning the floors. And in each of those those cells, you know what she did? She shared the gospel of Jesus Christ until every one of the prisoners, all 30 of them, had made professions of faith over a two-year period. We may never have to suffer for the gospel like she did, but we can follow her example of ministering to people so we get the privilege to share the good news of Christ. Three thoughts to live it out this week. Number one, deal with any hypocrisy in your life. Christians, listen, when I think we get all upset about what's going on outside these walls... But remember, it starts right here. It starts. And I want you to pray this prayer. God, is there any hypocrisy in my life? Is there any hypocrisy? Is there things that I'm doing, things that I'm saying that really doesn't portray Christ to other people? If so, then you need to deal with it. You need to confess it as sin and ask for forgiveness. Secondly, this morning, this. Show love for those who see things different than you. And we're really going to talk about how to do that in the next couple weeks, how you can literally do some things. I'm going to give you some very practical ideas over the next couple weeks. But we need to show love. Love is what's going to draw people, not hanging signs, not screaming and yelling in people's face. What's going to draw people is love. And then lastly, in your trials, look for how God is working in your life. Maybe, you're, maybe you've taken some stands for Christ, and because of that, you've had to go through some people making fun of you. Maybe you've taken some stands in your high school, and now the kids call you names. But here's the thing, is look for what God is doing for you. See, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as we'll see in these next two weeks, they took the persecution and they turned it around and used it for the good of God. America, the reality is we're heading that direction. How are we going to handle it? But where does it start? It starts with God's people in the church dealing with ourselves. God's trying to get our attention. That's what he's trying to do. Let's pray. Maybe you've come to our service today and maybe you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior. Maybe if you died today, you're not 100% sure that you're going to heaven. Right there in your seat, in the quietness of this moment before we sing and leave this morning, maybe you could say, you know what, Dick? If I died today, I'm not 100% sure that I'm going to heaven. If that's where you are right now, maybe you could pray. It's not the prayer that saves you, it's the belief. You could pray and say, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. Jesus, I look at my life and I see sin. But Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for my sin. You were buried and you rose again the third day for me. And I'm putting my faith and trust in you right now. If you pray something like that, If you pray and ask Christ to be your Savior, He will do that right now. You could become His child. And then for us who know Christ, let's not worry about the outside. Let's worry about us. Lord, I believe that we've lost our impact in society sometimes because of the hypocrisy in our own lives. And So if you're here today and you're a Christian, would you say, Holy Spirit, reveal right now, anything in my life that I need to confess. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for Daniel and how you use Babylon to get the attention of your people. Lord, thank you that you love us so much. Lord, you love us as children so much that you discipline us, that you sometimes bring persecution, Lord, to try to get our attention. Father, this country was founded on godly principles, and we have come so far away. So, Lord, help us. It starts in your church, and we want to see your power. But, Lord, we must be people with clean hearts and clean hands. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. If you want to speak to someone this morning about knowing Christ, we have some men down front here that we glad you, or even as a Christian, if you want someone to pl- pray with, slip down to the front after the service, and the guys will be glad to pray with you. You know what? That's a great song to end with, isn't it? It says, listen, we don't have to worry about the future. You know, even if there's persecution, the back of the book, the book of Revelation says what? You tell me. We what? We win. We win. And so listen, no matter what we might have to go through as a nation, as individuals, we're going to win in the end. Why? because we have a living God who loves us. We have a God who cares for us. And so we can walk out of here today encouraged, even encouraged in the midst of persecution if we go through that because God's gonna grow us to be what he wants us to be. And so leave today encouraged as you go out into a world that might not love us, but a world that needs us to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Let's go and share the good news this week. Have a great week.